Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher Kevin Connor. This series of messages is based on Kevin's best-selling book, Restoration Theology, available in paperback, hardback, and ebook formats from Amazon in your region, and also as a PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Well, good evening, everybody. I say good evening, everybody. Well, is anybody in this class that shouldn't be in this class? (laughs) All right, what I want to do tonight as uh, we begin on our Restoration Theology, uh, some people say, well, Kevin, what's all that about? We're going to sort of introduce that tonight. So, uh, as usual, let's have a brief word of prayer. Father, once again, we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that we can always come into into your gates with thanksgiving, into your courts with praise. And we pray now, Father, as we uh, share together of your precious word, uh, once again we come depending upon the Holy Spirit to help us. Pray, Lord, that you'll quicken each of us and may uh, our eyes be enlightened, Lord, as we uh, study together thy word on this uh, series. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Now, what I'd like to do tonight before we go to our notes, and we may not uh, get through this, uh, at least the two sides of the sheet tonight, but uh, we'll see how we go with time. I want you to turn, and this, uh, by the way, is not on your, on your notes, so I just want to turn by way of introduction. I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke. And I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Now, what I want to share with you just uh, by way of introduction here, I just uh, would like to do this and uh, just pray the Lord will really help us as we begin this series on Restoration Theology. All right, let's uh, glance over Luke chapter 24. As I said, this is not on your notes, but uh, just uh, some introductory thoughts here. In verse 13, I'm reading from uh, New King James here. Now, uh, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained. Uh, Old King James says their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Uh, New King James says their eyes were restrained that they did not know him. So uh, just paraphrasing a little bit here. Uh, in verse 17, uh, we're told Jesus uh, asked them what kind of conversation they were having uh, with one another on the way uh, as they walked and why they were so sad. Uh, so one of them, uh, whose name was Cleopas, stands and said, look, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And uh, haven't you heard the things that have happened in these uh, days? And uh, Jesus said, well, what things? So uh, they told him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, prophet mighty indeed and word before God and the people, and how the chief priests and the uh, rulers had delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And uh, they expressed that they were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel and uh, said that this is about the third day since all these things happened. And just to make matters worse, uh, certain women... Women, last at the cross, first at the tomb, where, the, where were the big brave apostles? 
Yeah, women should say hallelujah on that little bit anyway. Yes. So, uh, yeah, the big brave apostles, I don't know where they were. Uh, so certain women told him, said, look, uh, we didn't see his body, and uh, we saw a vision of angels who was alive. And uh, so, now notice what Jesus starts off in verse uh, 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How many would like to have had that on tape? I think that would have been a hot seller. In fact, uh, as we were doing a key of knowledge seminar throughout the week, this word expounder is where we get this big word hermeneuo or hermeneutics from. It actually has to do with uh, uh, expounding, ex- explaining and interpreting uh, in the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the big word we use today, hermeneutics or principles of interpretation comes from this Greek word uh, which is translated uh, expounded. So he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, uh, three other verses, three or four other verses I want to draw to your attention. And if you haven't marked your Bible on this, some of you uh, will have. But if you haven't marked your Bible on this, I'd like you to notice there's a key word that's used three times uh, in the uh, rest of the, uh, the passage here, and that, that is the word open. So everybody say open. 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 Okay, number one, the first use of this word uh, open is found in verse 31. Then their eyes were open. So number one, this is just by way of introduction, opened eyes. Now, if you go back to the verse I just read uh, in verse 16, I mean, Jesus himself has, uh, has drawn near to them. They don't recognize his presence. So uh, whether he disguised his voice or whether they're just so uh, down on the dumps over everything, they didn't recognize him. He's right there in their presence, walking and talking with them, but they didn't recognize. Their eyes were restrained or home. They just didn't recognize him. So here's the first thing that happened, number one, their eyes were open, so opening of the eyes. Number two, the second use of the word open is found in verse 32, and they said one to another, did not our heartburn, and I like to play on that word, I'm suffering from heartburn, and I don't want to be healed. How many feel heartburn when you talk about Jesus? Thank you for that underwhelming response again. All right, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And number two, while he opened to us the scriptures. So number one, in verse 31, their eyes were open, the opening of the eyes. Number two, the opening of the scriptures. So he opened to them the scriptures. He broke open the scriptures. And uh, I personally believe that the Bible is actually a sealed book unless the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, breaks the seals open to us. We just don't understand. So he opened to them the Scriptures. And then the third use of the word open is found in verse uh, 44, 45, actually. And he said unto them, uh, These are the words that I spake with you, and it's significant in the uh, few verses between that uh, they had communion uh, with him as he broke the bread, disappeared from their sight uh, as... uh, Yeah, just like we've had communion tonight. So verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while as yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written, number one, in the law of Moses, number two, in the prophets, and number three, in the Psalms concerning me. This is Christ's own threefold division of the Old Testament. So in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, 
and in the Psalms concerning me. We'll see uh, further significance in that in due time. Now, verse 45, we have the third use of the word opened. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. So, first of all, number one, their eyes were opened. They recognized him. Number two, he opened to them the Scriptures. And number three, he opened their understanding. Now, as we begin this uh, series on Restoration Theology, I, I am praying that the Lord will open our understanding. How many can say amen on that? So open our understanding that we might understand the Scriptures. So have to have our eyes open. We need to see Jesus. Uh, as uh, by God's grace, I open the Scriptures on this tremendous theme on Restoration Theology. And then say, Lord, uh, anybody can open the Scriptures. So if there's that unction and function but we still need the Lord to open our understanding. That's what, and I'd like to pray again for that. Why don't you pray and put your hands on your head and, and your heart, because I get it to the head, want the Lord to get to the heart. Father, as we uh, begin this series on Restoration Theology, we pray, Lord, that uh, each of us who gather Sunday night after Sunday night for these uh, eight sessions, that we will experience what the disciples did on the road to Emmaus that our eyes will be open to see you. And Lord, that you will open to us the Scriptures. They're a sealed book to us, Lord, unless you break the seals. And we pray, Lord, that as the Scriptures are open to us, you'll open our understanding that we might understand. We lay our hands on our heads and on our hearts that this will be so. And at the end of this series, Lord, we'll have a greater sense of direction than we've ever had. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. All right, now, I want you to turn, uh, as we start on the top of your sheet on page one here, to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And I want to uh, read the passage of Scripture that I got on your notes here as we look at our session one now. So that was just by uh, way of introductions, my prayer. All right, now in Acts chapter 3, and one of the things I like about, about the book of Acts, I, I would really like to get back to the book of Acts, uh, not so much chapter 5, but the first four chapters. People are dropping dead in chapter 5 for telling lies to the Holy Ghost. So people say to me, Kevin, I'd like to get back to the book of Acts. I say, which, I say, which chapter? <laughs> now, in the first few chapters, uh, whenever uh, Peter spoke, uh, his message was always preceded by a miracle. How many think that would be great? Start off with a miracle first, then the sermon. How many think we get around the other way? We start off with a sermon, then hope for a miracle. In the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the miracle of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, then Peter's sermon where 3,000 people were converted to Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 3 and 4, healing of the lame man at the uh, gate called Beautiful, then the sermon. So we're going to look at his sermon anyway. Okay, Acts chapter 3, and I want to read from verse 12. And uh, I make no apology for reading the word. All right, so verse 12, and I'm going to read from old uh, King James for the uh, present. Uh, when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why uh, look so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this, made this man whole? The God of Abraham, of Isaac, uh, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. 
But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and kill the Prince of Life whom God has raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, uh, I know, or I, what, I know that through ignorance you did it as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer and uh, he had so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution, or New King James, I think an IV, times of restoration. Everybody say times of restoration whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A uh, prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many have spoken of likewise foretold of these days, ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, uh, And in thy seed shall all the kingdoms of the earth be blessed unto you first. God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Now, under, under introductory here, I've just given you a little space here to uh, maybe scribble a few introductory thoughts. We have uh, altogether eight sessions uh, concerning the uh, theme of restoration and what we mean by restoration the uh, theology. And I uh, just want to sort of give a little bit of my experience here. Uh, how many uh, sort of from the dark ages like myself and have had to unlearn things over the years? And uh, I've had to relearn. Well, many, many years ago in the dark ages where I come from, I had no idea of what God's purpose was concerning the church. I just didn't have a, ha have a clue about it. And uh, I was what you call uh, an ultra-dispensationalist. Uh, I had a Schofield Bible. It was my mother-in-law's. I've still got it, but I believe they've changed it now because Schofield is dead and knows better. And uh, so they've changed his notes. And uh, hopefully he's not looking over the balustrades of heaven and say, look what they've done to the Schofield Bible since I've gone to heaven. So we hope not. If you've got a Schofield Bible tonight, I'll forgive you, but that's all right. So uh, this is what I, <laughs> I went through, uh, and uh, I was sharing this uh, uh, somewhere. Anyway, this is what I was taught, so this is what I had to un unlearn. If you haven't had to unlearn it, that's great. But you need to unlearn it if you have learned it, so that you learn right. So I was taught that when John the Baptist came, he came, repent, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then a few months later, six months later, Jesus came saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then after a few years' ministry, uh, the Jews rejected the king and the kingdom. John the Baptist got beheaded. Uh, Jesus got crucified. And uh, so Father, Son, and Holy Ghost got together and said, wow. What do we do now? The Jews have messed up our plan. <laughs> so as the Father, Son, Holy Spirit were talking together, it didn't quite actually happen, I'm paraphrasing, but this is what I was taught. 
So as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost got together, uh, they said, well, what do we do now? The Jews who rejected the king and the kingdom, what will we do? And someone in the Godhead said, let's invent the church. That'll amuse us. Yeah. <laughs> We've got 2,000 years on our hands to fill in. So someone else in the Godhead council said, well, what will we do with the kingdom? Well, one of them suggested, why don't we put the kingdom down to this end of the age until the Jews get their eyes open and wake up to themselves? Hmm. And then one day God sent along a ministry and dropped what I call a spiritual bomb and said, uh, if the kingdom has been postponed, then none of you are born again. So how many here are born again tonight? A few hands not up. Maybe we have an older call. Because you see, the Bible says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the church. Doesn't say that. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom. So when you're born again, you're born into what? So how many are in the kingdom tonight? How many are in the church tonight? How many don't know where they are tonight? <laughs> okay, this is a little bit of part of what restoration th theology is all about. All right, so. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. This scripture is not on your notes, but uh, this is the scripture that settles something for me. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 in just uh, two or three verses here. Just glance over Ephesians 3 and uh, uh, verse 3 on a little bit here. Paul uh, writing to the Ephesian church here, and he says how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Then he goes on to say, uh, verse 9, about the mystery, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, uh, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent or for this purpose, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Everybody say, by the church. By the church, not by the unconverted Jew, not by an unconverted Gentile, but by the church. The many-sided, many the manifold wisdom of God, according to the, what's your Bible say? According to the eternal purpose. In other words, before there was a Jew or a Gentile, before Abraham, Adam, or anybody existed, God had an eternal purpose in mind, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that eternal purpose is the church. Christ and his church. God had in mind way back in eternity, he wanted a bride for his son. So once I found that, that the church was not a last, and uh, as I didn't quite finish saying that, I was taught, okay, uh, that uh, Jesus came the first time, he's going to come the second time, and in between time, because he's got about 2,000 years on his hands, he invented the church, and the church was never meant to be. Church was like a parenthetical invention of the Godhead because of Jewish unbelief. But once I read Ephesians and it was drawn to my attention, the church was in the eternal purpose of God. It gave me a sense of direction. 
I'm not an accident going somewhere to happen. I heard uh, when I was in Portland, Oregon a number of years ago where, uh, where uh, one person said, I wish I'd never been born again. I wish I'd been born a Jew. Well, I'm glad I've been born again, aren't you? Because the church in the eternal purpose of God. What would you do if people came up to you as they have over to me, and maybe you, uh, some of you have had this question, what would you do if people came to you and said, uh, well, if I become a Christian, as they said to me many years ago when I was witnessing to somebody, which church will I join? Why have you got so many demon uh, denominations? I think I told you about the little boy who said, what abomination do we belong to, Dad? That's good insight for a little kid. So, um, you know, he said to me, well, what denomination will I join? Why are there so many denominations? And you all profess to have the same Bible, and you're supposed to be going to the same heaven, but you all contradict each other. So if I do get saved and I accept your Christ, what denomination will I join? Why are there so many denominations? What would you answer to that? Stay here for the next eight Sunday nights. That's what we're going to be talking about. All right, so this whole series about restoration theology is uh, primarily about God's purpose in redemption. God's purpose in redemption is restoration to restore man back to the image of God from which he fell in Adam and to restore the church back to the glory and power of God, which it lost over the years of church history. This is what restoration theology is about. And of course, I'd like to encourage you to purchase the textbook because as you've got on the bottom of this sheet here, um, what I'm wanting to cover, uh, cover tonight a little bit are the high spots of chapter 1 to 21. We may not get that far. Now... Go, uh, go to section A now, that's so much on my introduction. Was that a good introduction? All right, now go to your Bible again, and I want you to notice that the key word in this passage that we read is the word prophet or prophets. And I'll put the verses there. Uh, that if you want to get a little quote, that's okay. Now let's pick it up. So under A, uh, section of our notes here, I want you to see the significance of the prophets, the importance of the prophets. So in verse 18, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets. All right, so verse 18, prophets. Then in verse 21, again we have it, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Verse 22 on your notes, for Moses, who is the greatest and first of the prophets, we might say. Moses truly said to the fathers, a prophet, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, you of your brethren. Then in verse 23, uh, just the verse on your notes there, and it should come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet will be destroyed. Then verse 24, yea, and all the prophets. And then he says from Samuel, so, in verse 22, Moses, and verse 24, Samuel. Why don't you just turn over to one verse that's not on your notes here. Uh, you'll find that Moses and Samuel are probably two of the most important prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 15, uh, verse 1. And uh, these two prophets are often linked together. So, Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 1. 
So Moses said unto the fathers of prophet, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after. Uh, so Jeremiah 15, verse 1. Then said the Lord unto me, even if Moses and Samuel, maybe you'd like to put those uh, underline that, even if Moses and Samuel, two of the greatest intercessors in the Old Testament among the prophets, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable uh, toward these people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Uh, Moses represents the law, and Samuel represents the spirit. Samuel was the one that uh, apparently started the school of the prophets, and so uh, Moses gave the letter of the law, and then Samuel later on established the school of prophets to establish the letter and put life into it by the Spirit. So Moses and Samuel, two of the greatest uh, prophets in the Old Testament. All right, back to Acts chapter 3. Verse 24, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel, those that follow after as many as have spoken, likewise foretold these days. And then verse 25, last mention of the word prophets. You are all the children of the prophets. So I've underlined them all in my Bible. The word prophets used one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, seven or eight times uh, connecting Moses and Samuel. Now, over the years, uh, and maybe, maybe uh, some of you have experienced this, over the years I've had people say to me, Kevin, uh, you use the Old Testament, and I'm a New Testament man. And uh, how many think that sounds really spiritual? And I've had people say to me, Kevin, the Old Testament was nailed to the cross, it's fulfilled and abolished, so uh, it's done away with, I'm a New Testament man. Now, that sounds really spiritual, but uh, don't tell them I said this, it's really dumb. Now, my good Bible that I've had for about 90 years, <laughs> I've chopped it in half. So I've got the Old Testament here. So if you could project yourself back 2,000 years or into a Jewish synagogue today, when you would go in, you, that's all you would get. The Old Testament, but... I sort of feel there's something missing. How many think there's something half missing here? <laughs> I made a mess of that when I chopped that. But then you go into a Christian church and you're just given this skinny one. <laughs> the New Testament. And you sort of think there's something missing because everywhere I read here that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, that it might be fulfilled which was written by the prophet, there seems to be something missing. Who, who's, who, who's, who's Isaiah? Who, who's these prophets, these guys talking about? There just seems to be something missing. Have you got the other half of the book? And you say to a Jew in the synagogue, yeah, this is my half. But there's something missing. Well, how many know what comes between this and this? We sang about it tonight, the cross. And the cross brings it all together. So I'm not an Old Testament man. I'm not a New Testament man. I'm a Bible man. Amen? Amen? I'm glad for a complete Bible. So you see how dumb, stupid it is to say, well, I'm a New Testament man. 
the Old Testament was nailed to the cross. It would be impossible to understand either Testament without the other. Glad for 66 books of the Bible. Everybody said amen. amen. Now, because we're going to have to look at some of the things that were set in the prophets, because uh, uh, just imagine, as I said here, Peter's talking to people, uh, some thousands of people probably around this time. They have no New Testament. All they've got is this. So Peter can't say now, what I want to do in my message today, I want you to turn to the New Testament. It hasn't been written yet. I'll be writing it later on, and Paul's going to be writing some epistles, a few other fellas, because uh, I want you to be New Testament Christians. All they had was this. So anything that God was doing in, in their midst, they had to go back to this. If you were living 2,000 years ago, would you know what to do with this? Because everything that the law and the Psalms and the prophets wrote about restitution, they were going to see fulfilled in their time. And here we are in the end of the age. I think that's worth a little baby hallelujah, don't you? All right, so we looked at the key words. Uh, maybe you'd like to add this a little bit here. I uh, was looking up the concordance and I found that the word prophet or prophets is used some 163 times, some more, some less, uh, but at least 160 times, prophet or false prophet or prophetess uh, or of the prophet, some 163 times. In the Gospel of Matthew, the word prophet is, or prophets is quoted 39 times, uh, seven times in the Gospel of Mark, 31 times in the Gospel of Luke, 14 times in the, in the uh, Gospel of John, 30 times in the, in the book of Acts. So they're always referring back to the prophets, back to the prophets, those boring books, unless you got the key. Let me say that again, some of you were writing there. So Matthew, the word prophets, is used some 39 times. Mark, the word prophets, or prophets seven times. In Luke, the word prophet or prophets 31 times. John's Gospel, prophets 14 times. Book of Acts, some 30 times. And then Romans right through, and Revelation used eight times. So, um, some 163 times. Now, this is a significant thing. When it comes to New Testament prophets, New Testament prophets, we only have about 14 references to New Testament prophets in the New Testament. That's the good ones. We have about 13 references to bad prophets or false, uh, false prophets in the New Testament. So that's by New Testament prophets. All the rest of the references are referring back to Old Testament prophets and what they said and what they said would come to pass in our day. So that really opens up because we're strong on presbytery, we're strong on ministry of prophets today, but uh, the Old Testament prophets, how many ministers ever preached from these books? So those prophets, they're hard to understand, they're boring, relevant, they're dry, only because you don't know them. All right, now let's turn in your sheet to section B, section B. All right, so how many would agree that the uh, prophets have something to say to us? Thank you, all six of you. All right, now, under section B, I'd like you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 16, and uh, everything that Jesus said was important. 
But uh, I'd like you to look at 16, uh, Luke 16, 16, and we're just going to have a diagram here that you can f- uh, fill in. This is probably one of the most important verses that uh, Jesus gave us, and he sort of outlines the Bible for us in, in a sense. So if you look at the, look at that pretty one, isn't it? Not better than I can do. All right, let's read while the, uh, that's up there. Let's leave it up for a while. Luke 16, 16. Uh, and Jesus said, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. So notice the Lord's uh, breakdown here. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom is preached, and every man presses into it. Now, I think one of the most remarkable things is when uh, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And two men who'd been in heaven and had been translated, it's, uh, uh, I haven't got time to give the scriptures on this, but Moses uh, was raised from the dead and uh, appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah was taken to heaven without dying. And so here's Moses and Elijah, two men that'd been in heaven for several thousand years, all of a sudden, they turn up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, Peter, James, and John, three New Testament apostles, see them. So Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about uh, Luke uh, puts it about his exodus that he should accomplish at Jerusalem. In other words, his death, burial, and resurrection, and what he was to accomplish. So, can you imagine what Moses was talking to Jesus about? I can only imagine that Moses was saying. You know, because they came to strengthen Jesus in his humanity. And I can only imagine uh, Moses talking to Jesus. Now, remember Jesus when I was on Mount Sinai a few thousand years back? And you came down with a whole bunch of angels and gave me the law and you gave me the tabernacle. And remember how in the tabernacle, Jesus, you uh, told me I was to get Aaron as the high priest and I was clothing in all these garments of glory and beauty and then clothing in linen garments. And then, remember how you told me how Aaron on the great day of atonement was to kill the sacrifice at the altar and the body had to go outside the camp, but the blood had to be taken and sprinkled within the veil on the Ark of the Covenant seven times? Do you remember all that, Jesus? <laughs> yes, Moses. And you remember how the heifer and the washing of water. And remember all that? Yeah, I remember that, Moses. I remember I gave it to you. Well, you have to fulfill that. You have to become the great high priest. Your body has to be taken outside the camp. And your blood has to be taken into heaven, within the veil, into the heavenly sanctuary and sprinkled on the throne of God. That's what I've come from heaven for to tell you about and strengthen you. And Elijah, what do you think Elijah was talking about Jesus, to Jesus about? Well, Elijah says, Jesus, remember all those prophets and all the things there? Yeah, I was the one that inspired you and inspired all the prophets. You've come to fulfill that. And then all of a sudden they disappear from the scene. And Peter, James, and John, who'd seen two men that had been up in heaven for thousands of years. Wow. So Jesus says, the law and the prophets were till John, since that time the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses to it. Now I want you to look at some of the verses that I've put on your, on your notes there. And uh, just because 
always have time here. I've just put a number, and just to show you the importance of the law and prophets, because we need to lay this as a foundation, because we're going to have to go back to the law, back to the prophets, because what uh, Peter said, that the heavens must receive Jesus Christ until the times of restitution of all things spoken by the prophets. That's it. All right, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Why don't we look at a couple of these verses anyway? Matthew 5 and verse 17. Matthew 5 verse 17. So Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So Jesus came not to destroy the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. So not one jot or tittle of the, you know, the smallest ornamental hook on the Hebrew alphabet or anything like that. Nothing's going to pass from the law until everything is fulfilled. So Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 on your note, I'll quote it. Jesus said... Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Uh, I'd like you to look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. Matthew 11, verse 13. Matthew 11, verse 13. And a little verse that we read and uh, miss the point of it often. Matthew 11, 13. And uh, I'll read for... uh, yeah, I'll read from verse 12, lead into And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is preached. So the law and the prophets were till John. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So this is Matthew's way of saying this. The law and the prophets were until John, since then the kingdom. Now, we read this verse and say, well, all the law, all the prophets... And the law prophesied till John. Well, we know that the prophets prophesied. They wouldn't be prophets unless they did prophesy. But not only did the prophets prophesy, the law prophesied. So there was a prophetic spirit in the law. And because, you know, in the hearer's mind, they're not Westerners like us. The hearers are Jews. So when, that, when Peter says this is what the prophets say, and they've got their uh, Old Testament book as we refer to it, they know what the law said about restitution or restoration. They know what the prophets spoke about restoration. You even heard a verse today that Joel said, Days are coming in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit, and I will restore to you the years that have been lost. So they knew what the law said. They knew the laws of restoration. They knew what the prophets said about restoration. So Jesus is saying, the prophets prophesied, but not only did the, the prophets prophesy, the law prophesied. So we go back to the law and we think of all those intricate details that to us, our Western mind, boring, but there was prophetic element there. That's it. All right, Matthew chapter 22, I'll just quote it. Jesus said, the two great commandments, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And then uh, Luke chapter 24, we've already read that. Jesus opened their understanding that they might understand what was written in the law. And I'll put it in the order we have in our Bible. The law, the Psalms, and the prophets. And then right through the book of Acts, 
uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 5, Acts 28, verse 33. Every time Paul and them, uh, Barnabas or Paul and Silas, went into the synagogue, always went to the Jew first, and uh, as they sat there, because of Paul being a Pharisee, they always handed him the scroll of the law and the prophets, and that's the only testament they had. They had no New Testament. It wasn't written. And Paul would preach unto them Christ and the church out of the law and out of the Psalms and out of the prophets. The New Testament, the book of Acts is full of quotations because they've got no New Testament. Now I want you to turn to two other scriptures here for our last uh, few moments here to show the importance of uh, law and the prophets. So right through the book of Acts, we see them constantly using uh, the Old Testament scriptures, what the prophets said. Now, uh, let's turn over to... Um, First uh, Peter chapter 1, just our last two scriptures, and then we're going to have to pick this up next week. First Peter chapter 1. So Peter's been speaking here at the, on the day of Pentecost and quoting a prophet. Also, Peter's been speaking after the healing of the lame man. Now here, Peter, years later, is writing his epistle. So First Peter chapter 1, and uh, we'll pick up in verse... Um, Let's see, verse, uh, verse 9 to lead into it. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Now, notice some of the important things that Peter says about the prophets. That we have received the salvation of our souls. Then he says that the salvation, the prophets, inquired and searched diligently, carefully, who prophesied of the grace of God that should come unto you. What were they searching? First of all, they were searching, what did it mean? When Isaiah's prophesying with stammering lips in another tongue, will I speak to this people? What did it mean? When Joel and when Isaiah says, the lame shall leap as a heart and the eyes of the blind will be opened and the tongue of the dumb will sing and the deaf ears will be opened. What did that mean? When Joel said, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, men and women, sons and daughters, what did it mean? So the prophets, trying to figure out what their prophecies meant, searching what? Not only did they search what the material meant, what it meant, they also searched about the time element. What manner of time? Is this for my generation or is it for another generation? So, what was their answer? Was it for their generation, another generation? Then you'll notice in verse 11, it was the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Messiah himself, who was in them, actually foretold of his own sufferings, the sufferings of the cross, and the glory that should follow. And the glory to follow was not in the sweet by and by. Unto him be glory in the church not in the sweet by and by. So the sufferings that should take place on the cross, but the glory that was to follow was unto him be glory in the church, not glory in the sweet by and by. 
So, the Spirit of Christ, so it was Christ, His own Spirit in the prophets, testifying of His own sufferings and the glory. Now, notice in verse 12, it was revealed to them that not to themselves, not just to their generation, but unto us they were ministering things, which have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel sent down from heaven. I've got on my notes here, though the prophets were men of their time, they were also men of all times. I'll say that again. So though the prophets were men of their time, they were men for all time. Because truth is truth in every generation. What was truth yesterday is truth today. What is truth today was truth 3,000 years back. Truth is eternal. So though the prophets ministered to their own generation, they also ministered to us. All right, now let's turn to our last scripture as we finish our uh, session tonight. I want you to turn over to Matthew's Gospel. Uh, so we looked at what Peter said and uh, what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. And uh, on your notes you've got verse 10 to 17. We'll just uh, take a couple of verses here. So... Uh, finish on time here. So Jesus just uh, changed his style of teaching. He's talking about in parabolic form now. And so the disciples said to him, verse 10, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them has not been given. Then he goes on in verse 13, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them... The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Now verse 17, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say to you, Many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things which you see and have not seen them and to hear the things which you hear and have not heard them. I think you and I are living in a very blessed generation. Many prophets and righteous men would love to have seen. So Isaiah would love to have seen, you know, Jesus opened the eyes of the blind, healed deaf ears, and healed the lame. So, wow, that's the fulfillment of my prophecy in chapter 35. Isaiah would love to have been in the upper room as uh, with stammering lips and another tongue. I began to speak with our tongue. Wow, that's what my prophecy. I didn't quite understand what it was about. Joel, when Peter quoted, this is what Joel said. In the last days, I'm going to point my spirit on all flesh, on your sons and daughters. Wow, I'd like to have been there. How many think Joel would love to have been in the upper room and heard the 120 speaking in tongues? And as you go through the book of Acts, and even today, how many think that the prophets and righteous men would love to be alive today and see the untold millions that belong to the true church and people being saved and healed and filled with the Spirit and signs and wonders that are taking place in the church? They would love to be alive today. So when I was younger, I used to say, oh, I wish I lived back there. Now, I'm glad I'm alive in this generation. 
So this is what restoration is all about, restoration theology, God restoring to the church all that we've lost. So come back for this exciting episode. Make sure you bring your sheet for next week, and then we'll do the eight hours of restoration and continue on. So let's uh, all stand. Parents have to get their children. Make sure you bring your sheet along next Sunday night. So let's all stand together. And let's lift up our hands and our voice and thank the Lord for his precious word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the exciting days that we're living in, Lord. And many prophets and righteous men would like to be living in the generation that we are and see what's going on in the world and in the church. And Father, here we are, born uh, for such a time as this. Born into the kingdom for such a time as this. In this generation, maybe the last generation, Father, we just thank you. And we pray, Lord, that you continue to open our understanding that we may understand what's in the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Pray that the same spirit that you breathe upon those disciples in the road to Emmaus will be upon our hearts as we continue in this series of studies. May all of us have a greater sense of direction. Lord, we're not an accident going somewhere to happen. We're part of your eternal purpose, the church. Let it be, Father, seal your word to all of our hearts and grant us a great week, we ask, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.